I'm sorry, friend, but I cannot work late tonight. It's a cold walk home from the graveyard. Colder still when the sun is sinking, and my children will be waiting for me. Hmm? Oh, yes. I have many children. There is nothing in this whole world that is more powerful or important than the love of a child. Oh, no, they are not mine by birth, of course. You would know if I had given birth to my own. Goodness, no. I adopted them all. Their parents abandoned them out in the cold. They were freezing and hungry, dirty and starving for attention. I could almost hear them crying out for me, for help, for someone to love them in this difficult time. I'm happy to keep them safe and warm. Many people will tell you that a house full of children is loud and chaotic, but not ours. It is so peaceful, so quiet. They are grateful for what I have given them, and I, in turn, am grateful for what they have given me, a purpose. My children are my greatest work after all. They are each so perfect, so beautiful, their faces shimmering and pale in the light, their hands always folded in their laps. People must wonder how I get them all to behave so well, but with children like mine, I don't even have to try. Would you like to come meet them? I'm sure they would love the company, and you seem to be a kind and understanding person. Wonderful. Let us walk together then. It will make it seem a little less cold. I warn you though, my children are a little different, which is why I was able to adopt so many. Few people want to care for children like them. <laughs> no, I am not a saint, merely a person who realizes their true potential. Ah, here we are. Now don't mind the mess. There are a lot of us in my little flat and children are so hard to keep up with. Hello, my loves, I am home. And look, I brought you a friend. What do you mean, where are they? They are all around you. Can you not feel the little eyes on you? Hear their little voices greeting you? Here is Masha, right on this chair. She thinks your jacket is lovely. Come a little closer. Do not look so frightened. She can't hurt you. She's only a child. I told you that they were different. You said you understood. Why are you running? It isn't forever, you know. They're only dead for now. I'm so sorry, children. I thought she was different. Everyone leaves me. Except you. I'm Holly. I'm Leslie. And we would be dead. Well, I'm I'm here for it. When we <laughs> did Carl Tanzler, I wasn't writing monologues like that. That's true. That's true. <laughs> so, you know, we had to do something. Maybe I'll go back and write them for our old ones for like a special thing. I thought you always had a monologue, no? I did, but they were more informative. 
they were like just introducing I didn't really get into like first person narratives until like at, I don't even know maybe the Black Dahlia maybe a little before that oh, that's only 10 in but like still there's like some some in the beginning that don't have them okay I know I definitely didn't write one for Slender Man I definitely which would be so fun now I know <laughs> Maybe that'll be a special, or maybe we'll do it for our patrons. We'll see. Yeah. Just do monologues. Hey, Leslie. Hey, Holly. Hey, Beans. Welcome back for a particularly spooky episode. We thought it might be best to mix it up after two very heavy weeks with Ted. Thank you. Yeah. That was heavy. Good heavy. Mm-hmm. But heavy. So this week we go on a real hair-raising, grave-robbing ride that takes us back to Russia. And you know how we love pronouncing Russian names. It's our favorite. Yeah. I'm better at it now, though. I say that, and I'm going to butcher them this week. (laughs) It's always an adventure. Honestly, I think Russian is a very pretty language, and I wish I spoke it. But for now, I'll just try real hard with some towns and names. I could string them together and make them sound like a sentence. That will work, too, I suppose. (laughs) I'll not. (laughs) Uh, This week, we are discussing Anatoly Moskvin, the doll maker of Russia. And as you probably have guessed by now, those are human dolls. This case has a lot in common with Carl Tanzler, um, if you can take that as any indication to what you're in for. Oof. A select few of you are probably familiar with this story. It's a weird one, and it's very easy to find online, but it didn't see a lot of press in the United States. There's like one CNN article and then a bunch of other like spooky blogs, but not like a lot of news. Um, The British press has a bunch and Russian press, but not as much from us. So if you're completely in the dark, that's okay. Just come along for the ride. And speaking of rides, it's been a pretty wild one these past few weeks over at We Would Be Dead Quarters, and it's leaving us feeling particularly drained, a little uninspired, and generally sluggish. Mm, I'm so tired. My under-eye circles have under-eye circles. They're gross. It's terrible. And if you're wondering what you can do to possibly help out with this, well, you can hop on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. It really does help keep us motivated, glowing like babies, and impervious to fatigue and nightmares. Right? It sure does. Yeah, it's great. And if you want to go a step further, you can head on over to support We Would Be Dead on Patreon. For just a few dollars a month, you can get access to an extra monthly mini-sode, our additional monthly patrons-only podcast, 30-minute horror movies, which is the most fun. (laughs) We really shine there. You'll also get exclusive live events and on-air toasts just for you, discounts in our merch store, and much, much more. And you're going to want those discounts because we have some brand new merch. We do. Yes. Our toast shirts have arrived just in time for St. Patrick's Day or any occasion you have to clink a glass and celebrate. It could simply be every Tuesday, for example. Yeah. You know. It makes sense to me. Same. Gives you a a good reason for that. On Tuesday, we wear green toast shirts. And we toast with Holly and Leslie at the end of We Would Be Dead. Right. (laughs) So perfect. Lastly... If all of that is a little overwhelming, you can simply share any of our posts to your social media feed, and then your friends can become fiends, and we can all hang out together. I love that. Always the goal. Yes. Bring everybody in. We're very friendly. So uh, I think that's it. Do you have anything to add, Leslie? Mm, uh, Merch stuff? Toast shirts? Mm, They're not like a piece of toast. They're the word toast. Yeah. (laughs) I was thinking about that today. (laughs) Somebody's just like, wow, you really like toast. I love a piece of toast. (laughs) 
Mm. That's not what it is. Yeah, I don't – I had some stuff, but I'm not ready to share it yet. It's okay. This is a safe place whenever you're ready. Thank you. Ooh, I got my vaccine. Oh, that's right. My Leslie got her one. first vaccine. Yay. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> We're so happy. <laughs> Yeah, and keep sending us your pictures. If you get a vaccine, send us your vaccine selfie, and we will share it to our Instagram story. We are proud of all of you, and we love keeping that in the forefront of people's minds. Yes. Awesome. Well, that's all. That's all. Then on with the show. Okay, put your weird hats on, fiends, because it's time for an adventure. (laughs) Leslie put hers on. (laughs) This case is a lot like Carl Tanzler meets Ed Gein meets Edward Scissorhands. Oof, I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) You're not out after that monologue, I don't know. (laughs) It's not the one that got you to say, fuck you. Yeah. (laughs) No, I was prepared for that one, though. I was like, god damn it. (laughs) (laughs) And if you guys don't know which one it is, you have to go back and find out. (laughs) Just saying. It's hard to qualify Anatoly because... He wholly believed that what he was doing was good while doing some of the most things, some of the most awful things that most of us could ever think of, not only morally reprehensible, but also physically vile. Now, I can't promise you that you will come through the other side of this podcast completely understanding him or why he had the mummified remains of 28 girls in his apartment at the time of his eventual arrest, 29 in some cases, 28 in some places, some places say 26. Oh, Yeah. Let's go, let's go all the way and say 29. Yeah, we don't want to forget one. No, we don't. But <clears throat> when you come out on the other side of our coverage, you will be able to view this case from both sides, which is an opportunity I feel like most retellings of this case fail to provide. First of all, Anatoly Moskvin did not murder anybody. This is a grave robbing case. <laughs> okay. And there are a lot of articles that make it look really splashy, like he was like a serial killer. And this is, like, weird and gross enough. You don't also need murder. Yeah. So just to launch you guys into it with that. So Anatoly Moskvin was born on September 1st, 1966, to parents Yuri and Elvira Moskvin. I know what you're thinking. With Elvira as your mom, you're bound to have a few dark interests. But (laughs) it's not that Elvira. Oh. I promise. The mistress of the dark is actually a woman named Cassandra Peterson, and she has one daughter, and it's not Anatoly Moskvin. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Before we get into Anatoly's bizarre childhood, because no one makes corpse dolls without having a pretty interesting history, Leslie, can you tell us a little bit about 1966? Perhaps you know a few facts about Russia was like back then, just just like off the top of your head. Oh, uh, sure. So I I don't, but (laughs) I do know that in Russia, the Luna 9 on the moon, like landed on the moon. And then the Luna 10 spacecraft became the first man-made object to orbit the moon. So there was a lot of, like, space stuff happening then. Nice. The space race. The space race was going on. It was great. But I had a really hard time, actually, finding Russian facts that weren't too much about, like, I don't know, just, like, heavy historical things going on. I hear you. Yeah. So I do have, just to get us in the mood of, like, what we were going through. Absolutely. um, Yeah, I'll go go through some of that. And then I have a fun game for us to play. (gasps) A game. You guys asked for a game. You loved it. Yeah. (laughs) Leslie listens. All right. So, Mini Skirts Were In. Yes. Batman starring Adam West debuted on ABC. Kids were playing Barrel of Monkeys. Adults were replaying Twister. 
The Sound of Music won the Oscar for Best Film. Mm. Cabaret opened on Broadway. Oh, my favorite show. Eight tracks were now in most Ford cars. Mm. A woman by the name of Stephanie Kolek, K-W-O-L-E-K, invented Kevlar. Oh. And due to superstition, there was a sharp decrease in Japanese birth rates because it was considered unlucky for a woman to be born that year. So many families aborted their female babies. Oh. Isn't that horrible? Like, so sad. I don't think there was advanced testing to know early on when your baby was a female. That's what I thought. So I think, I don't know what they meant. If it was— They just murdered those babies. I wonder if it was that or if they were just having abortions. Because I thought the exact same thing. I was like, they wouldn't have known. No, you couldn't. They had just been like, it's it's riding low or high. High as a girl. <laughs> high, yeah. Um, Maybe. Yeah. I mean, maybe they had like superstition-y we midwives. We did it with lemons under the bed, so I think it's a girl. We're safe. Yeah. Or when the girl came out, they just killed that baby. Yeah. So— that's terrible. I know. It's a, 1966 is already a tough time. I know. But Alan asked asked less. Alan asked less. <laughs> Which is really so funny the name was. I'm sorry. <laughs> Poor Alan Asless. He did something really important, didn't he? he and I'm gonna sure, see, be so upset. <laughs> he sure did. Oh no. Alan Asless tiddly winked 10,000 tiddly winks in just three hours, 53 minutes, and 41 seconds at the University of Wales. Okay, that's not important. His name is allowed to be Alan Asless. <laughs> I thought you were going to be like, he cured a very lethal form of cancer. No, he was just really good at tiddly winks. I don't even know how to play tiddly winks. Tiddly winks is like a, it's like these small little felt discs. Mm-hmm. They're not, well, not felt, I guess, but there's like a little cup and you, and they have, they like, progress the game through the ages of having like a board that you can like flip oh. but it's kind of like you just flip them into the cup you like so you're teaching them. kids how to play quarters i think that's really what okay. it was. yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it was a dumb game but he but he alan assless amazing assless no ass assless tons Ast- of tiddlywinks assles maybe it's assles <laughs> it's assless forever to me a-s-t-l-e-s i'm so sorry <laughs> He's in our history books. <laughs> Alan. Okay, let's play a game. Okay. All right, so this is a musical game. I'm stressed there out. There was really, I know, there was really good music back then. You're stressed out. I have to sing them. And I do this to myself, I know. You love to sing. <laughs> <laughs> just, I just want to be on Broadway. I know. You had your chance. In eighth grade, I was nominated most likely to be on Broadway, and damn it if I'm not still trying. Oh, let's go. <laughs> okay, so... I will sing you a part of the song, and then you will either give me the name or maybe the artist or both. Okay? Okay, or I'll just keep singing it. Well, or if you know it, yeah, just keep yeah. singing it. It's totally fine. Okay. I'm not going to know any of these. I'm so sorry for my stupidity. No, you're going to know them. <laughs> okay. I'm picking up good vibrations. <laughs> She's giving me excitations. Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. <laughs> no. <laughs> but I was like, yeah. <laughs> But listen, they did sing that song. No, that's the Beach Boys. Yes. Good vibrations. Yeah, girl, you got it. <laughs> Hello, darkness, my old friend. Yes. That's um, Simon and Garfunkel. Sure. Yep. Sound of Silence. Yeah, I couldn't think of the name right away, but I could sing it for you if you want. <laughs> <laughs> Not the right words. <laughs> because I'm sleeping. <laughs> yeah, that's what I got for you. <laughs> and the sound of, of silence. silence. Okay. I got it. <laughs> 
You keep saying you got something for me. Oh. Something you call love, but confess. These boots are made for walking, and I believe that's Nancy Sinatra. Yes, girl. There we go. See? I, I knew, knew you, this song. I knew you were going to do these ones. Well. Because I'm sweating. All right. <laughs> see if you can finish the sentence. Oh, no. I see a red door, and I want it. Paint it black. Yep. <laughs> uh, that's the doors, right? No. No. Who is it? I don't know. Clapton? Mm-mm. Who is it? Okay, there's either, you either like the Beatles or... Oh, the Stones. Yeah. Okay, sorry. See, I told you I was going to get something profoundly, sadly wrong. <laughs> it's okay. I, the Doors, I think, they like, he sings like that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I know I'm dumb. I, pro- I apologize in advance. It's all right. Ready? Mm-hmm. I thought love was only true in fairy tales. <laughs> that's, that's Shrek. It's Shrek, but... <laughs> I'm a believer. Yeah. Is that the monkey? Sure is. Okay. That's my mom's favorite band back then. Oh, did she love Davy Jones? She did. I love Davy Jones. I used to watch, I used to, um, the show? Yeah, on VH1. It was like on at 10 p.m., and I I would watch them every night, and I had the largest crush on Davy Jones then. And then I was like, I know he's so old because of the Brady Bunch movie, but. I totally still understood. They loved him. He was still like a heartthrob in that movie. It's fine. I know. I understood. I was like, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Last one. I'm going to put my put your Britney, diva ear in. Your Britney headpiece. <clears throat> I need a moment for this one. Oh, man. <laughs> Leslie's going to sing. It's coming. I need love, love to ease my mind. I need to find, find someone to call mine. Mama said, you can't hurry, love. No, you just have to wait. I don't know who sings it. But <laughs> you already said the name of the song. Good. <laughs> <laughs> what girl group sings that? The Supremes. There it is. It was one of them. <laughs> them, the Runettes, somebody. I don't know. <laughs> All right. I think you did good. Thank you. Yeah. I can stop sweating now. You can, yeah. Her hives are wild Guys, since I I'm told so her. I'm so bad at games. I Games make me so nervous. Yeah, I don't know if too. I've ever talked about this on the podcast before, but, like, I cannot handle, like, board mm-hmm. games or, like, anything where you're on the spot, which is funny because I, like, am an improviser. But, right. But I can't do that. I can't mm-hmm. play games. I promise that I will always choose ones that you will that I won't know. pass out and die from. Yes. <laughs> because I have the same fear. So red. I'm probably <laughs> You're a little red, red. too. <laughs> Why do we do this? I don't know. We do it for the fans. <laughs> Guys, it's for you. It's all for you. Where's my little gift that I posted earlier this week? <laughs> all right. Well, that was fun. I don't think he was having as much of this fun, but I think some of that music probably trickled over yeah. and... And I think their fashion in oh, Russia yeah. was probably like heavy coats and fur hats. <laughs> that was probably a lot of it. Yeah. It was much colder at times. So according to most sources, the first years of Anatoly's life were mostly unremarkable. He grew up in Nizhny Novgorod, yes, which is the fifth largest city in Russia. I didn't look up how to pronounce that. I just recognize letters now. <laughs> and when I heard it, I felt really good. It was evident from a very early age that little Anatoly had a remarkable intellect, being especially proficient in languages, but his knack for the academic did not translate into the social world. And we see this all the time. He was extremely socially awkward and had issues with things other people might find very simple, like eye contact. I don't know, though. I think eye contact can be scary. Yeah. How long are you supposed to hold it for? 
when are you being creepy versus weird and shifty-eyed? These are things I wonder. All the time. Exactly. (laughs) Maybe Anatoly wondered them too. Either way, when he failed to make friends, he decided that he might be best on his own and threw himself into the world of books. He would sit for hours while other children were on the playground reading books about history and languages all by himself. Sad little guy. I know. I would have been his friend. Um, I don't know. You'll see later. Maybe back then, though. Maybe back then. Yeah, that's true. One report states that in third grade, now, okay, I say one report and I mean one place says this. They seem to have access to a lot of interviews directly from him, but I, they didn't have, they didn't state their sources, so I can't fact check them. But it's important, so I'm going to tell you, but I'm also going to tell you that, like, there's a chance it's not true. Just one person. Yeah. (laughs) So this one guy who pronounces everything like he's from, like, some kind of Midwest state, he says dolls. (laughs) And Anatoly. So anyway, this guy says that in third grade, Anatoly returned home from school covered in bruises. His parents saw this and claimed that they knew something was very wrong, but he didn't say anything to them, so they just let him keep to himself. Later, Anatoly would confess to being brutally raped that day. Yeah, on the way home from school. Now, mind you, he didn't tell his parents. He told this to a mental health professional much later in life, of course. Again, take this with a grain of salt but I found it worth mentioning because sometimes when you undergo an intense trauma at a young age, a part of you kind of sticks there and stays pretty childlike. And there are certainly parts of Anatoly's psyche that you could call childlike. So it would add up. In third grade, he would have been like eight or nine years old. And some of the things he says later on, I think it sounds like a child believes this. Mm -hmm. So that kind of adds up to me. By the time he was 10, Anatoly was speaking, was spending any money he had on books and all of his time alone in his room, or taking long walks in cemeteries with his parents, who thought this was, like, a perfectly good way to get your air every day. Take a walk through the graveyard. (laughs) I don't see anything wrong with it. I mean, I don't either. (laughs) It would definitely be something we would do. Yeah, it would. But I think at, like, eight or nine, like, Violet's nine, she'd be like, why are we in graveyards all the time? (laughs) It's fine. John would be like, this is where Lovecraft strolled through the... Gardens of the Cemetery. Okay, if it's an important one, that's different. Yeah. And this is where Buffy slayed vampires. Which one is that? Do you know? All of them. All of them. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Anatoly had also managed to teach himself several languages, and he learned to love his strolls through the graveyard so much that he began to take them on his own. Hmm. Then, in March 4th of 1979, something happened that would change everything for Anatoly. A turning point, as he calls it. And I'm warning you now. This sounds like the strangest of folktales, but it's true. I got this story straight from prison interviews with Anatoly, and I tell you this because I read this story three times from three different sources, and I still didn't believe those retellings had their facts straight. But nope, nope, this is some real-life shit. Okay. (laughs) At least according to him. I'm strapped in. You should be. On March 4th of 1979, Anatoly was taking a walk through the local cemetery by himself, like you do, when he crossed paths with a funeral procession for a young girl named Natasha Petrova. Natasha had been in the bath when she reached for a towel and accidentally grabbed a live exposed electrical wire instead. What was a live exposed electrical wire doing in her bathroom? I couldn't say. I can only imagine it was perhaps a plugged-in extension cord with the male end exposed, so she, like, grabbed the tines. 
Or perhaps the cord had a hole in the coating and the wires were exposed inside and she grabbed that part. But either way, the shock tragically took her life. She was Anatoly's age, and when a group of men in dark suits at the end of the procession saw Anatoly, they begged him to come along with them to the funeral to pay his respects. Anatoly hadn't known Natasha and did not want to go, but the men coerced him into walking along with them, and they managed to get him into the church. There, Natasha's body was on display, open casket, in front of an audience of grieving friends and relatives. The men pushed Anatoly down the center aisle to the very front of the room, so he could pay his respects. And there, next to the body of her beloved daughter, was Natasha's mother. She handed Anatoly a large, shiny Hungarian apple and then begged him to kiss her deceased daughter. Anatoly did not want to do this, as absolutely no one would. Nobody, let alone a random little boy, wants to kiss an unknown corpse in front of a large and eager audience. Anatoly, of course, said no, but Natasha's mother begged him. And the audience of friends and family began to chime in, encouraging <gasps> Anatoly to kiss the young dead girl. Oh my God, this is a nightmare. Isn't it? Natasha's mother claimed that if he kissed her deceased daughter, she would give him money, fruit, and candy. But again, he refused. I wonder how much money we're talking here, because I would for sure kiss a dead for enough money. Yeah. They don't feel it, they're dead. How mm. much money would it take you to kiss a dead body? Um, and you don't know this person. I don't know them. Oh. Maybe like a hundred. I know. I was like, not that much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe like three or four so I could get a new pair of roller skates. Yeah. That's yeah. It. I mean, That's I wouldn't want to aim too high because I still would I want the, I would do it probably for 50, but like, I'm going to push. <laughs> Low ball. <laughs> I'm glad. I thought the same yeah. thing. I was like, there's cash involved. That's fine. Yeah. Whatever. For a quick trip to like the CVS or yeah, you man. Know, one stop. It'd be fine. <laughs> Yep, I bought, like, a hat. I do it for a good coffee, like a Starbucks. Oh, yeah. I don't think I'd take much either. It's like a little, it's nothing. Yeah. They're dead. It's fine. Now on the lips. It wasn't on the lips. Several hundred. <laughs> then I definitely better get that pair of roller skates. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Eventually, the church elders had had enough of this childish behavior and grabbed Anatoly by the arms, dragging him up to the coffin. Once there, they pushed his face down into Natasha's waxy, pale face and forced him to comply. With no options left, Anatoly kissed Natasha's very dead forehead, quote, once, twice, three times, end quote, near her lace cap. Once he had done so, the elders let him go, and Natasha's mother placed a small golden ring on his finger and then an identical ring onto Natasha's. She then gave Anatoly a large basket of fruit and treats, a small sum of money, and instructed him not to tell anyone of this event for 40 days, then sent him on his way. I'm sorry, what? Did he just get married? Yes! <laughs> he married a dead girl! <gasps> Why did this happen? I don't know! I don't know, I told you. Anatoly discarded the fruit out in the snow and then spent the money on books about animals. So it could have been that much. He just bought books about animals. Although we said, like, a Starbucks. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think I would need more than animal book money, though, for what he went through. He married that girl. But he agreed before he knew that it was like a marriage. He never agreed. They, well, they pushed his head down and made him do it. And then they were like, you have the reward anyway. This is weird. I know. I know. Is that the end of that story? Mm, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Anatoly told no one of the incident as he was instructed, but in the future he would cite his, quote, unusual wedding as the point in time where his interest in black magic, death, and the occult began. How old was he again? I think, like, 11? That's so weird. In, like, 40 days, like a Lent. Yeah. Don't tell anyone for 40 days. Lent, Lent Jesus will marriage. come back. <laughs> oh, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? He might have been there. Oh, God. And I mean, like, if you're going to get an interest in black magic, that's the kind of event that's going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm that's... He's, he suspects later in life that this was some sort of ritual, some sort of like, obviously it was, if it even occurred. We'll find out later on that he's got like a lot of issues. But it was obviously some sort of like attempt at something. Oh. Unless this like poor little girl needed to be married because she was also like pregnant or something. I have no idea. That's the only way it added up in my head. I was like, why would she need to be married? Like to go to heaven or whatever. But she's already dead. I know. It's so weird, right? I don't, I have no idea. I couldn't find, if anybody knows why this ritual might happen, I'm very interested to know. I did not do too much digging into like marrying the dead because I didn't even think to do it, to be honest with you. Um, But I will, I will look it up. And if I find Mm -hmm. anything, I will share it. Maybe we'll do a little update or. No, does he just tell this story or is this like other people in town are like this weird thing happened? No, he just tells this story. I think that the other people in town can tell you that this little girl died and there was a funeral for her. Okay. But I don't think anybody is like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This really dark shit happened with this little boy. Okay. So I, again, this is his report predominantly. Good story though. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So. Before we pass this insane event, Leslie, why don't you tell us a little bit about 1979? Oh my gosh, I'm like almost done for the day. I know, just so we can get after this. You most certainly cannot. You have to listen to the rest of it, just so we can get to the full picture of the moment that Anatoly calls the turning point in his life. Okay, well, this was the turning point for many people's lives because in 1979, Pink Floyd released The Wall. That's probably why they were probably, you know, trying to resurrect this girl because of that. Absolutely. I think. Yeah. China institutes the one child per family rule. That was then. Bad time for girls. No. Uh, Margaret Thatcher was the first woman elected prime minister in the UK, so that was a good time for girls. Oh, yeah. It's trying to even it out. Yep. Sony released the Walkman at $200. Mm. <laughs> yes. Which will be featured in our movie, our 30-minute horror movie this week. Uh, oh, yeah. Idle Hands. Oh, God. <laughs> The uh, first snowboard was invented in the U.S. Oh. And the USSR invades Afghanistan and begins the Cold War. So Russia was going through that. Women were wearing pantsuits, denim overalls, tube tops, blazers, and skirts, while accessorizing with sparkly belts, swinger-style and beaded handbags, and flip-top watches. Oh, God, I remember those. Yep. Why do you need to close your watch? What's happening to your watch? It has, like, a nice design on the top, Mm. and then you can, like, open it. Uh, The men wore suits, velour v-necks, car coats. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, and pleated vamp shoes. And in Russia, uh, they, again, were just wearing heavy coats and fur hats. Fur hats, right, right, right. This Mm -hmm. is Ted Bundy fashion. Actually, they're fat. If you just look up Russian fashion in 1979, you'll get like a bunch of Pinterest hits, and it was just the greatest jackets and fur hats. Oh, like, all right, it then. was wonderful. I but mean, I couldn't get any article. 
was like, according to Pinterest, all Pinterest, they're killing it. They are killing it. Okay. So popular films then were Superman the movie, Rocky II, The Muppet Movie, Star Trek The Motion Picture, Amityville Horror, Ooh. and Alien. Good. We'll cover Amityville soon. I know a couple people have been asking for it, mm-hmm. um, and we'll get to it. Okay. I promise. Popular songs were My Sharona. Yeah. <laughs> by The Knack. Uh, Don't Bring Down or Don't Bring Me Down by Electric Light Orchestra. Oliver's Army by Elvis Costello. Escape, the Pina Colada song by Rupert Holmes. Okay. <laughs> I Was Made for Lovin', or sorry, I Was Made for Lovin' You by Kiss. And Highway to Hell by ACDC. What a and time. then, I know, and for music, so in uh, Soviet Union, from May 21st to the 28th of 1979, Elton John played eight concerts there. Oh. Yeah. Okay, so they were rocking out to Elton John music. They were, yeah. Good but for them. The, and uh, that's like a whole big thing. There's a bunch of articles about that because it oh, was like right at yeah. the beginning of the Cold War. So mm. there's a lot going on. Excellent. All right, that's so I'll see you tomorrow. You will be staying right there. <laughs> it gets so gross. You have to listen to it. Oh, he is like a corpse bride. No, he doesn't marry them. He married one already. That's what I mean. Oh, he yeah. has a corpse bride. He does. He has one. He started strong. He did. You got to come out strong out the gate. Or what are you doing? Imagine meeting the love of your life at 10. Dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Oh. So after that, Anatoly finished high school. And that's like a boring chunk. Like nothing big happens. He just goes through high school. Super smart. Top of his class. And um, quietly but constantly fed his love of black magic and death. I would have been his friend. Yeah, at that point, probably (laughs) me too. Be like, you married a dead girl? Tell me more. I need to know. (laughs) He graduated at the top of his class, like I said, and then went on to attend Moscow State University, where he studied linguistics, languages, and Celtic folklore. Colleagues remember him as brilliant but eccentric, a man with an enormous personal library of around 60,000 books and a rather extensive collection of large Russian dolls. These are actual dolls. Mm -hmm. Real quick, can you imagine a college classmate inviting you over to his place for coffee, and when you walk in, it's just 60,000 books and a ton of large porcelain dolls staring at you with their uncanny valley of soulless eyes? Yes, I was already getting this (laughs) image in my head. (laughs) That is so much. Isn't it? It's so oh, and Russian dolls are are rough. They they look like haunted dolls. The they, dolls yeah. that he had, and I saw like pictures of examples. They look like just very large porcelain dolls. These mm-hmm. were not like nesting dolls or any kind of like weird thing. They were just like big, scary, soulless eyed looking dolls. Huh. I'm betting exactly none of his acquaintances during that time were surprised that he lived in a house of a thousand corpses. <laughs> They're probably like, oh yeah, that checks out. Okay, <laughs> that yeah, guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Got it. Mm-hmm. So before we move on, a word about the Celts and their version of the afterlife. Anatoly was obsessed with Celtic folklore. He studied it in college, even though it had absolutely no relation to his intended career path. The Celts believed that when a person died, there should be a great celebration, a tradition still upheld in Ireland today. Now, I hope you've all, I don't hope you've had someone you love who is Irish die, but I hope you've all been to an Irish wake at some point, because they are wild. But if you're not familiar with the Celtic funeral rites and customs, I think this summary does such a nice job of explaining it that I'm going to directly read it to you. It's from a blog called Seven Ponds from an article called Celtic Dreamlands and Burial Rites, How Celts Prepared for a Wondrous Afterlife in the Other World by Christopher Hewitt. Quote, 
Although many cultures adorn the dead with material comforts like flowers, coffins, and well-pressed suits, these objects are generally meant to benefit those in grief. However, for the Celts, a society that spread across Europe and the British Isles from the Iron Age until the late Roman Empire, these items were necessities that helped the recently lost move on to a better life after death. To prepare the dead for this journey, burials included human and animal sacrifices to appease the gods, as well as the internment of an assortment of goods such as utensils, coins, chariots, weapons, and armor. Dressed in the latter, the deceased was often buried in the direction of his enemies so that he would be prepared to greet them. In this way, Celtic burial sites left behind the remains of a celebration as much as a funeral and a preparation for life after death as much as a farewell to earthly life. These funeral practices embodied many Celtic beliefs. The Druids, which were the spiritual guides of the Celts, envisioned a bodily afterlife that took place in an other world, which was a better, more pleasurable, more blissful version of life on earth. The Celts were among the masters of dream and myth, similar to, though allegedly much more violent than, the Lost Boys from Neverland. In the other world, they found a wondrous dream world that did not spoil itself as in Christian theology, with the looming shadow of moral retribution. It seems the Celts were free from both fear of sin and fear of death, so it's good to be a Celt. Their afterlife was anything but ghostly, whereas many other religions conceive a split between the body and soul so that after death the latter becomes a shade or spectral essence, in Celtic beliefs, the two remain intact and are even enhanced and made more godly. Not only does the Celt gain admission to a rich and vibrant dream world, he also takes with him an exalted version of his flesh through which he enjoys the sensual pleasures of paradise. End quote. Beautiful. Yeah. See, I had to just read that. They, do yeah. it. they did such a nice <laughs> job. But yeah, so remember that they, they don't think you're a ghost. Oh, wait, there's a little more. <laughs> However, death itself for the Celts was blurry and without the finality we so often ascribe to it. This is back to a quote. <laughs> At any minute, the Celt might come back to life in his full corporal self. One folktale even relates how a man came back from the grave to sire a child by his widow. Some scholars see these beliefs as a cultural innocence by which Celts were largely unaware of the body's natural decay. I would rather appreciate it, appreciate their vivid approach towards death, their inseparable union between soul and body, and their volatile vision of death, in which the dead could rise at any time to alter the world of those still caught in our imperfect earthly life. End quote for real. <laughs> they didn't think you were gone necessarily. They thought that your earthly body could come back at any time and that you lived on in a very, like, not a spectral sense. You were a person. Hmm. So let's keep that in our minds as we move forward with Anatoly's story. And remember that this is the version of death that he liked best, where you could just wake up. Yeah. While the Celts enjoyed the wilder side of life, Anatoly was repelled by it. He abstained from all alcohol, tobacco products, and sex— in fact, according to most sources, Anatoly remained a virgin to this day. Not that there's anything wrong with that. You don't have to have sex, but, like, I do recommend maybe try it a couple times. See if you like it. If you don't, that's fine. Yeah. Like, give it a shot. That's just me, though. I mean, yeah, if you're given, like, a consensual opportunity, give it a shot. Yeah. And then if you hate it, you just stop there. Yeah. 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 We got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After graduating college, Anatoly, who at this point spoke 13 languages, briefly worked as a lecturer at the Institute of Foreign Languages. He also translated many books, including entire dictionaries, 
and published many papers that were very well-known and respected in the academic circles he ran around the edges of. Anatoly lived a quite secluded life. He never lived in a place of his own, preferring to stay with his parents. Though he had a lot of strange interests and some academic admirers, Anatoly was quite alone most of the time, and later admitted that he would get profoundly lonely. For a brief period of time, from around 2002 to 2003, Anatoly had a non-sexual relationship with a woman named Yulia Granova. Yulia was very spiritual and also desired a life free of the sinful act of sex. I wonder how these two people found each other. Mm. They're like, we should never have sex, but I do need a friend. Was this in college, you said? No, after. No, after. Mm -hmm. Now, as much as they hated sex, the couple or pair of companions, to put it more accurately, deeply wanted a child. Especially Anatoly. He wanted a daughter more than anything in the world. In May of 2003, the pair did adopt a little girl, but the agency told Anatoly that the money he was making as a freelance journalist and academic lecturer was not enough to support himself, Yulia, and a child, and so they turned him down. This crushed Anatoly, and so he called on his parents. Now, his parents spent every single summer, which they considered from April to October. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a long-ass summer. So they spent all that time abroad. They, like, vacationed and were elsewhere in the summer. Um, and he, he comments that they even took the cat. So he was, like, totally alone. Oh, <laughs> I know. So they're away. And remember, they would have no idea what went on in their house as a result of the conversation that's about to happen. Okay. So he asks his parents for help obtaining an adoption. I guess you can, like, co-sign for a kid. I don't know. But much to his surprise, they were adamantly against it. Anatoly lived at home. His girlfriend lived somewhere else. He made very small amounts of money and spent most of his life either cordoned off in one room of his parents' home or wandering around a graveyard. This was not the life for a child. Furious, Anatoly told them that if he could not adopt a child, he would simply use his black magic to raise one from the dead. Oh. That's a normal thing to yeah. say. Well, yeah. Yeah. His parents did not see this as a red flag. Mm-hmm. Nor did they come home. They, I think it's funny that they they judge him, but that's what their child does. So. <laughs> I know. They just said he couldn't have a child because he, like, couldn't support it with his lifestyle, which he couldn't have. Right. But they also were like, oh, you're going to raise a child from the dead? Okay, bye. <laughs> we're going on vacation. Good luck. <laughs> They simply refused to help with the matter and let that be that. A decision um, I would sorely regret if I were them. Because as much as they never thought this threat was serious, it was. And gravely so. Oh. <laughs> See what wow, I did? I did, yeah. 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 That was a good one. Before this argument, Anatoly had been reading the local obituaries compulsively, looking for children who had tragically passed. He had begun to hear the local dead children calling out to him begging him to save them. And so, Anatoly would find their graves, using his intimate knowledge of graveyards, and sleep on the cold earth the children were resting under. He thought that if he slept there, the children could talk to him in his dreams, a practice he had learned about from the ancient Druid texts he read. Now, remember, we just talked about how the Celts think that there's this dream world mm -hmm. that the dead live in, and they're very much in their earthly body. So he was thinking he could bridge this gap and talk to them in his dreams. He's not a druid, but whatever. He thought that they were lonely and he would be doing them a great service by keeping them company. 
Now, these activities were not normal, but no one knew he had been doing it, and he really wasn't hurting anybody. He was just sleeping in a graveyard. But after the adoption failed and his relationship with Yulia fizzled as a result, Anatoly was left completely alone. The children's voices became louder and louder, and sleeping nightly on the ground simply wasn't doing enough. He knew he would need to do something more to help them, and so he devised a plan. Anatoly had come upon the grave of a 10-year-old girl named Olga Chardmova. With a little research, he had discovered that her story was unspeakably sad. Olga asked her mother countless times if she could walk a block over to her grandmother's house alone, but her mother would never allow it. Finally, on one rainy afternoon, after Olga's begging got the better of her mother, she said, I'm 10 already, I can go myself. And so her mother relented. Olga took her green bag and blue umbrella and set off, but she would never make it out of the front courtyard of her apartment building. As she went to exit, a drug addict looking to rob her grabbed her, stole her earrings, and as Olga tried to fight back and escape, her attacker beat her over the head with a metal pipe, (gasps) killing her instantly. Oh my God. I know, it's like a really tragic death. Gets worse. Her assailant hid her body in the attic of the building, wedged behind a series (gasps) of pipes. And it took authorities five months to find her. What? Yeah. Oh, my God. How horrible. That's sad. She didn't even leave the complex. Mm-mm. She didn't even. And her grandmother's house was across the street. It was like a block away. And she, like, her whole life, she begged her mom. She's like, I just want to walk alone. I just want to go to grandma's house. And her mom was like, no, you can't go anywhere alone. The first and only time she let her, she got killed. Wow. I know. That's very difficult. She was buried on October 2nd, 2002. And in May of 2003... She would call to Anatoly, and he knew he had to bring her home. On May 9th, Anatoly went to the cemetery where little Olga was buried under the cover of darkness. There he dug down into the earth until he struck her coffin. But instead of unearthing the entire thing, which would take hours and cause an enormous disturbance of the earth, Anatoly dug down in a small area, so he just dug a long, deep hole. Then once he hit the coffin... He cut a hole in it near the head area and then just pulled her body out through the hole. Smart. Okay. Right. And then he could just fill in the little hole instead of having the whole thing disturbed. He remembers that the coffin was draped in red fabric and that when he pulled the girl's body out, it was badly decomposed at this time. But he would not be deterred. Anatoly then replaced the earth covering over the coffin. I guess he did a good job because her parents came all the time and found a shallow abandoned grave nearby. I guess that was common. They would like dig graves and not use them or something. This one Mm. was just like kind of left there. And so he put her body in like just under a little bit of earth there so he could keep her and gain access to her easily. Before he covered her though, he took bags that he had made from old nylon stockings he found in the trash and filled them with baking soda and salt, then tied them all around her body. Then he loosely covered her back up and left. Every week, he would come back and replace the garbage stockings with fresh ones. New garbage stockings, that is. Yes. Loves to reuse. What is this doing? You might be wondering. It's mummifying the body because salt will draw water out of things and dry it out. And baking soda is supposed to diminish smell, I suppose. Yeah. I don't know that it's a preservative in any other way, but it won't smell as much. It kills an odor. There you go. But didn't people notice him puttering around the cemetery doing weird things all the time? Yeah, they definitely did. But he told them he was simply feeding the birds. And he looks like a weirdo who would come to a cemetery to feed (laughs) birds out of filthy old stockings. 
<laughs> be like, good day, sir. They're like, yep, this looks like what you should be doing. I got to go. <laughs> Everyone just left it at that. With his old garbage stockings. He picks garbage picks everything. He is a dumpster diver. Yes. Mm-hmm. Got dumpster cuffs last week. Okay. <laughs> this is dumpster stockings. Yeah. Got some, we got more dumpster stuff coming up too. Don't worry, Great. you guys. We have a whole band of dumpster people. Ooh. By July 25th, she was ready to be, quote, taken home. So she was dried out enough. He wrapped the body up in new clothing that he, of course, found in the trash and brought her to his home. Because, like, I don't know where this guy is trash picking, but he finds everything. Children's clothes, stockings. All right. Once they arrived home, Anatoly made an incision in her abdominal cavity and anywhere else that was particularly sunken in and stuffed it with salt water and baking soda solution-soaked rags. This is exactly the way that Carl Tanzler, um, like, preserved his lady. And then he would place a music box behind her ribcage so that she might be able to respond to him and then sewed her back up. (gasps) So now a dead girl is going to talk to him through a music box embedded in her chest. Just for like a minute, remember what a music box sounds like. Let's get that sound in your head real quick mm-hmm. and imagine it's the voice of a little ghost girl. Yes. Nope. Now we're all in this together. Enjoy never sleeping again. You're welcome. Oh my gosh. I was going to leave like 20 <laughs> minutes ago. Not allowed. I told you you're not allowed. <laughs> After that nightmare, he would use wax and stockings to coat her hands and face, again, just like Carl's Hansler, which looked horrible and ghoulish, like her face was all, like, dried out and horrible looking. And then he would just paint on a new face with trash nail polish he found. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But here's where he differs from Carl Tanzler. Anatoly strongly believed that he would one day finally be able to bring this poor girl back that her dead body would just walk around again, like the Celts say. And because he believed this and believed she would just be walking around in this horrible yellow raisin body, he knew that she would be very upset when she saw herself, and that made him really sad. So he made sure to cover her all over so she would never be able to see what had become of her earthly form. It's just so sad. It is. It's wrong. sweet and sad. It's frightening. But honestly, he really thought he was saving her and preserving her feelings and that she was lonely out there and needed someone to take care of her. Hmm. And that's this guy's genuine, honest belief. So it's, it's very complicated to think about. Yeah. Now, this became his ritual, too. This process, he did the exact same process with every girl it happens to because plot twist, there's a ton of girls. He heard many more voices and saved many more girls and called them his children. Until about 2005, when Oleg Ryabov, a fellow academic and publisher, commissioned Anatoly to summarize and list the dead in more than 700 cemeteries in 40 regions of the Nizhny Novgorod Oblast. I know. This task would halt his weird dead girl saving for a little bit. Anatoly claimed that between 2005 and 2006 or 7, depending on what you read, he had gone on foot to inspect 752 cemeteries across the region, walking up to 18.6 miles a day. Anatoly would not stop his journey for any creature comforts either, often finding food in the trash, loves the trash, or from generous strangers, and drinking water from a dirty puddle, which he would claim to have strained through his shirt, though the water was still apparently, quote, gray and hazy. Ew. Yep. If he got too far 
from any kind of like train station or place where he could, or like hotel or something, Anatoly would simply sleep in any abandoned farms or occupied, or occupied farms for that matter, in their barns or haystacks on the edge of the property. That's a scary thought. Like if you have a farm, someone could easily just be sleeping in your barn without you having any idea. The axe murderer? Yep. What year was that? <laughs> and it was before this, but yeah. Just sleep it in the barn. Nobody knew. People don't check a barn. I don't know. Nobody living at the farm is going to sleep in the barn, and you generally aren't going out there in the middle of the night. And it's not like the animals are going to tell. I don't like that thought at all. Farmers, please do tell me. Do barns have alarms on them now? Do they lock up? What is the situation? The animals just go wild. <laughs> it's a wild <laughs> night. Now, if there weren't any farms about, abandoned or otherwise, well, then Anatoly just slept in the cemeteries themselves even going so far as to spend a night in a coffin being prepared for a funeral. Now, this event happened in a Muslim cemetery, as Anatoly explains, it was their custom to have everything necessary for a burial laid out so it could be done at a moment's notice if necessary. Now, this is a direct quotation from Anatoly in an interview that took place before his arrest. Because remember, he was like mildly academically famous. Right. So people did talk to him. Quote, I was examining the south of the Spassky region, Tukai village before it was called Parsha. Towards evening, it is too far to Spassky, even further to Sergash. There were no hopes for transport. It started to rain. There were no haystacks in the area either. And the Tatars in their gatehouses put not only crowbars, but also dominoes covered with green fabric with silvery sayings from the Quran. The deceased is wrapped in sheets, and this farm is used as a stretcher and they lie in stacks in a house in the cemetery, and the roof is leaking. Where to go? I think, let it be not a coffin, but a box. I lay in one box others moved from above, and nothing got wet, and I slept well, and nobody noticed. End quote. Again, that's translated, so it's going to be a little weird. Oh, right. So basically, he just pretended it wasn't a coffin and had a very nice sleep in a cemetery surrounded by bodies, in a box. You know, it was a nice low-key evening. It was, like, cushioned. His house was full of bodies, so this was nothing new. I mean, you got to do what you got to do. Exactly. When you're on the road. That's that's what he did. Now, after that, um, there are a lot of other charges on him for, like, vandalizing Muslim cemeteries. Oh. And I think they all trace back to this one event where he slept in one. I don't think there's a lot of truth in that because he was never charged. In his extensive travels, Anatoly was sometimes questioned by the police on suspicion of vandalism and theft, but was never arrested or detained after stating his academic credentials and purpose. So, like I said, there's a lot of these rumors, but to the best of my knowledge, they are rather unfounded and would just be based on these weird sleeping incidents. While it's extremely disrespectful and certainly trespassing, it's not vandalism. This is a man who carries a chisel in his back pocket to remove moss from any graves that he might come by that are completely covered so that people can still read their epitaphs. Oh. Yeah. I don't think he's going to go around defacing graves. No. It just seems totally out of character for him. Mm-hmm. So while he's doing all this, mm-hmm. these dolls are in the house. Yep. But then, and his parents have no idea? They think he, he's a doll collector. But they, well, they, they, he, they're gone so much too. Right. When he's bringing them home, He doesn't bring any new ones home when his parents are there. He only brings them home in the summertime, which we'll talk about later. Um, And we'll we'll go over this later too, but just to answer your question, they really thought, like, because he was always interested in dolls, they honestly believed that these things were just dolls, and they just lived with them. And they didn't smell. I cover that too. Okay. They said they didn't. I mean, 
I guess when he brought them home, about, by the time his parents were there, they would be mummified. Mm-hmm. Mummies don't have like a rot smell if they're all okay. the way dried oh, out. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure somebody can tell me that they smell a little funny, but they don't smell like rotting flesh because they're totally dried out. Right. Okay. To like-minded people, Anatoly was a revolutionary genius, and his work was like nothing else anyone had ever done. Totally priceless. So this book he wrote about the 700-some-odd cemeteries was like a revelation to people, the people that like cemeteries. I was like, uh. Yeah. (laughs) He dubbed himself a necropolist, which is not a word for anybody else. The word necropolis means cemetery, so, you know, just, Uh yeah. Anatoly's great work itself remains unpublished to this day, but has been described as, quote, unique and priceless by Alexei Yesin, the editor of Necrologies, a weekly paper to which Anatoly was a regular contributor. His most famous articles were, quote, great walks around cemeteries and, quote, what the dead said. That's my favorite. Yeah. And if you can find any of them, please let me know. Or Necrologies magazine, let me know, because I looked really hard and I could not find them. I would subscribe. Yeah, right? (laughs) His writing is pretty boring and dry, though, so don't say I didn't warn you. Okay. Well, so far with this quotes, I'm like, whew. I know. <laughs> that one was hard to get through. I apologize if it was difficult to oh, understand. No, no, it's just okay. translated from Russian, so it's yeah. also, like, weird. Mm-hmm. Between 2006 and 2010, Anatoly worked as a freelance correspondent for the newspaper Nizhny Novgorod Worker, publishing articles twice a month. In 2008, Anatoly wrote an extensive series of articles on the history of Nizhny Novgorod cemeteries that appeared in the paper. So he's, like, writing articles, Mm -hmm. being, like, a normal guy. All the while, he was still adding children to his family once he got back from his trip where he wrote about cemeteries. Then in 2009, parents began to realize their children's graves had been tampered with, and authorities were sure it was political extremists. And for two years, they investigated extremist groups looking for this grave robber. Those fascists. They even, there was like a a terrorist incident in 2011 in an airport in Mm. Russia, and they were like, well, this is the same people. But they couldn't find anyone. Finally, on November 2nd, 2011, police's investigations led them to the home of a man they had seen wandering through the graveyards fussing around. A local historian who specialized in advanced knowledge of graveyards. And what they found when they got there was something from which no one can recover. You don't come back from this. There's a video. I'll post it. The home was slovenly and cluttered. And his parents' part of the house seemed to be kind of in order. Like they kind of kept to themselves. It was still pretty messy. But Anatoly's room was chaotic, littered with large, vacant-eyed dolls. And they're everywhere. There are pictures. They're, like, just—they're piled on top of each other. There's so many of them. No one needs to see that. You're gonna. At first, they thought they were—the police really thought they were just dolls, and this guy had, like, a really weird collection. 29 full-size dolls. But with the smallest bit of investigation, it became clear that these dolls were made from girls, ages 3 to 11. The dolled-up bodies of 29 children were located in his home, most of which were in his room. Most. The dolls were all completely dressed and covered. The smaller ones were even diapered, and their faces had been covered with wax and either painted over or fitted with masks or doll faces. Oh, no. Yep. Oh, no, Anatoly. I know. Please, no. <laughs> the dolls. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Video released by police shows the bodies seated on shelves and sofas in small rooms full of books, papers, and general clutter. They're, like, laying in, like, the, like, daybed and on the sideboards and stuff. They're, I mean, they're all over the place. Mm. But the fun didn't end there. 
Police also found numerous grave pieces, such as metal nameplates removed from their headstones, instructions for making the dolls, maps of cemeteries in the region, and a collection of photographs and videos depicting open graves and disinterred bodies, though none of this evidence could be conclusively connected to any of the bodies found in the apartment. According to the investigation, the bodies primarily came from cemeteries in the Nizhny Novgorod region, though some of them may have come from as far away as Moscow. Law enforcement wouldn't have wouldn't have to work too hard, however. Also, Moscow is two, over 250 miles away. Remember that. Uh-huh. And he, like, went everywhere on foot. Yeah. So law enforcement didn't have to work too hard, as I said, because Anatoly actively cooperated with investigators and claimed he made the dolls over the course of 10 years. His parents, who were away for large portions of the year, were unaware of his activities. He told them exactly who the girls were, exactly how they died, and where their graves were located because that was his business. Mm -hmm. He knew that about everybody. These girls' families were all notified, and then the caskets were disinterred, and they confirmed that they were empty. Olga's parents, remember the little girl that got killed, were beside themselves with grief and would later reveal that they had been visiting an empty grave for nine years. And not only that, they had noticed that her grave had gotten quite a lot of attention. They remembered back to that day in May of 2003 when they showed up and the wreath was in a different place and things looked a little weird. And after that, letters began to appear on her grave and they were all signed by, quote, kind angel. It's kind angel in Russian, but like maybe two of our listeners are going to get that, so I'm just translating it. He, this person would write to her on every holiday and every birthday and at the passing of every school year. So there'd be notes like, congratulations on your sixth year of school, like every, oh, all the time. Weird. At one point, the letters went so far as to demand that her parents erect an elaborate monument to their daughter. But the best they could do was a headstone. The mystery writer was not satisfied and destroyed it, claiming it was not enough for, quote, his little lady, which is what he always called her. Olga's mother was quoted as saying, I had her for 10 years, and he had her for nine. How horrible. I know. Anatoly was charged under Article 244 of the Criminal Code for the Desecration of Graves and Dead Bodies, a charge which is supposed to carry up to five years in prison, but after a psychiatric evaluation, it was determined that Anatoly suffered from a form of paranoid schizophrenia, which I think we can all agree with. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. Voices, the religion, the, I mean, like, it, it, all of it adds up. In a hearing on May 25, 2012, the Leninsky District Court of Nizhny Novgorod deemed Anatoly unfit to stand trial, releasing him from criminal liability. He was instead sentenced to, quote, coercive medical measures, which just means like mandatory time in a mental health, mental health facility. Mm-hmm. The prosecution was satisfied with the decision and did not appeal the verdict. So everyone was like, yeah, that's right. Yep. <laughs> so Anatoly was removed to it was taken from court to a psychiatric clinic with his stay to be reviewed regularly. From February, in February, sorry, of 2013, a hearing approved an extension of his psychiatric treatment, and then his treatment was extended again in April 2014, yet again in July of 2015, and so on and so on. In 2014, a spokesman stated, quote, after three years of monitoring him in a psychiatric clinic, it is absolutely clear that Anatoly Moskvin is not mentally fit for trial. He will therefore be kept for psychiatric t- treatment at the clinic, end quote. In September of 2018, Moskvin's doctors stated that he was no longer dangerous and petitioned for the Leninsky district of court of Nizhny Novgorod to release him for outpatient care from home. But that was not going to happen. In February of 2019, a subsequent psychiatric evaluation found that it was too early to release him and the hospital withdrew their petition. 
And of course, the parents are like, no, he's just going to do this again. Like, this is what he did. He even went so far as to tell the police not to bury the, the children too deep. He's like, if you rebury them, don't do it too deep because they're going to come back to life. Mm. Anatoly never once showed remorse for his crimes, which makes sense if you strongly believe what you're yeah. doing is right. He explained that what he did, he did to save these lonely and abandoned children. He knew that they were only dead for now and that one day they would be back. And even if they weren't, he planned to, and this is a weird one, also use the material he had of the children to have them cloned when cloning became legal in Russia so that they would have a second chance at life. He explained that he had brought them all home so he could sleep beside them and they could talk to him in his dreams. He had treated them all very well, showing them cartoons, reading them books, and singing them songs. He celebrated every holiday and every birthday and treated them with the utmost care. He wouldn't even swear in front of them. He said that these were his children, and he loved them very, very much. And no, he did not have sex with them, because I know some people are wondering. He really didn't. He genuinely thought these were his kids. In a final dagger to the heart, Anatoly told these grieving parents that were all in the courtroom that they had abandoned their girls, left them alone in the cold, and he had brought them in and warmed them up. Oh. He was, like, furious at their parents. He yeah. treated them like they were, like, the bad guys. But he was not yeah. well. Like, that's what this is. But what about his parents? They had to have known, right? I mean, we just talked about this. After all, I said most of the dolls were in his room, but one of them was in their room. Oh, no, no, no. Ah! In their room. I know. Oh. He said that they just thought... Again, he was a doll collector. That's what they claimed. They said they thought he had an unusual hobby, that what he liked to do was make dolls. He had collected them when he was younger, so it didn't seem too out of the ordinary. Um, they even, oh, I hate this part. When they had company over, Anatoly would bring them out, and their visitors would remark on how lovely his artwork was. Nope. And then move on. Gosh, they, their friends were probably like, oh, we have to go over to their house again. It their son's going to bring out the dolls. Mm-hmm. We have to be nice. Be nice, honey. Be nice. (laughs) That guy is so weird. Parents of the taken children would insist that they had to have known. They wanted to see his parents, like, get some kind of consequences. But that never happened. Um, And they felt that it would be nearly impossible to remain that willfully ignorant for that long. But Anatoly insisted that he did all of his activities, like all of the bringing home and the, like, stuffing them and stuff. That all happened when his parents were gone. And by the time they got back, it was easy to simply pass them off as more dolls. After his arrest, Anatoly's parents both suffered severe health declines due to the stress. His father had a heart attack and his mother just collapsed. Both of them were hospitalized. When they were released, his mother said that she thought they ought to kill themselves as they had been completely ostracized from their community Mm -hmm. and no one believed them. But his father would not agree to it. And so they live in relative isolation to this day. The smell, though, right? There had to be a smell. There had to be a smell. <laughs> I know. Not I mean, not- it also just seems like they had to, they couldn't have been great parents either. Like, one, they were gone all the time. No, and we we talked about that. They, they ever, like, he came home and he was, like, beat to shit in and third they grade. And they were like, like eh. yeah, you want to stay in your room alone? I get it. They just didn't care. Yeah, they seemed like very just, like, disconnected parents. And, yeah. And maybe that was a common trait at the time in that location. And maybe, I don't know. Yeah, I don't want to say that they didn't, like, love their child because that's a very hard to do, right. to not love your child. But I just, they, I can believe it from the start. Right. They were very hands-off and kind of like, all right, you just do Nurturing your weird thing. Nurturing parenting is, is a cultural thing, and yeah. it may not have existed in Russia at that time. Maybe mm-hmm. that was more common to let them just kind of 
keep to themselves. Yeah. I don't know. But again, the smell. I, now, I'm not telling there wasn't a smell because, in fact, we know that there was. Neighbors would often comment that when the door to the Moskvin house opened, a horrible smell would waft from inside. But they would always just assume that it was the smell that was coming from something rotting in the basement, which apparently was common there. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if his parents came back and, like I said, by that point in time, the smell had dissipated because everything was dried out, or if they just willfully ignored it, or if they were the same way. They're like, well, he's kind of dirty and messy, and maybe it smells a little bit, but we're just going to go about our lives in our side of the house. I don't know. In later interviews, Anatoly would admit to carrying on his activities for over 20 years. He disturbed over 150 graves. Mm -hmm. He didn't bring them all home, but he got in there. He said he was profoundly lonely in those summer months without so much as the cat to sit with him. And so he made his own family. He said that the girls were very much alive, just temporarily dead. He very much believed that. He said to everyone, Mm -hmm. he was like, they're just dead for now. I don't understand why you can't get this. He knew full well also that he was breaking the law, but he believed that rescuing these children was more important than any law in existence. Right. He definitely knew because that's why he would do it while his parents were gone. Oh, yeah. And he admitted it. He's like, I know that this is illegal, but it's, it, I have to do it's it. For the better. Good. It is. It is. He thought he was very nobly breaking a law to save children. Not a, and that about sews us up. Wow. That's when, a lot. <laughs> when you said the police went in their ro- his room and they, he had like instructions and photos and yeah. all this stuff, I just thought like he was, he was doing like a YouTube mm-hmm. podcast, like, <laughs> How to, how Hi to make a doll out of a corpse. Oh, God. <laughs> Hi, guys. First, you get garbage stockings. Yeah. Then you stuff them with salt and baking soda. Then you got to get your body. Yeah. But don't pull up the whole coffin because that cuts too much of a mess. Just and cut a <laughs> hole, pull them out. Link below for a bulk baking soda. <laughs> Smash that like button. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. This case is weird and fascinating. And I'm sorry if any of it was garbled. No. It's, it's told in like a different order every time you read it. But what drew me to covering it was, wasn't even how weird it is. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that it is sensationalized in a way that I don't believe it should be. Mm-hmm. People are like, this horrible, depraved freak. I'm like, no, this lonely, mentally ill man mm-hmm. who did a thing that he thought was good because he's mentally ill. Mm-hmm. Like that's... He didn't think he was hurting anybody. He thought he was saving children. Mm-hmm. So, like, yes, it's weird and gross and awful. But also, I think you should feel complicated about it. I think you should not know exactly where to place your feelings or blame. Right. Because I think in the end, he's, like, a, a pretty sad character. Yeah. It, yeah, that's really sad. Right? Like, Carl Tanzler was a dick. He wasn't, didn't do that for saving reasons. Mm-hmm. He did it because he wanted to keep this woman who wouldn't love him in life. This is very different. This guy was trying to bring these children back. Yeah. So many. I will. The photo suite's going to be a lot this week, you guys. I will make sure the cover doesn't jump scare you into it. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll put the pictures of him first. So okay, that thank you. I'll try and give a warning slide that says, <laughs> like, here, here be bodies. So, <laughs> so you know when you're going to get into it. Now, again, they are all, there. you don't see, like, parts. I mean, there are some pictures of them where you can see the way they look mummified, but I won't post them. I, I try not to go super graphic. Yeah. If you want to see them, you can find them online. You can Google them. You can see everything. I will just post some selections. Mm-hmm. So that's, 
my crazy ass story. My goodness. Yeah, man. We got a lot going on. Ooh, Everyone's yeah, going to have nightmares. Yeah. I I have a friend who listens to this podcast. She has dolls in her room. Oh, no. And, They're going to get her now. Yeah. And uh, when I sleep over, I'm like, Whoa. Oh no! They're staring at you. Yeah, they're they're those they're those creepy kind of dolls. Ugh, but but I, I know they're nice. She she's a she's she's a nice person. So I know they're nice dolls. Yeah, <laughs> but they get me. They get it's those that time. like uncanny valley effects with their yeah. like frozen almost human faces, but not quite. Yeah, and your brain doesn't know how to register it. That's like when three D animation is like misses the mark by just a little bit, but is also yeah. too real. Yeah, like the Polar Express. That, oh, that hurts yeah. all of our brains. It sure does. Everybody's brain is like, what's happening? <laughs> like, I'll be, I don't know that I w- could watch it. My kids love it. Yeah. Every time I'm like, ooh, no. The children frighten me. they just do a real version? They could have. I don't know. Yeah. I'm sorry if that's your childhood and we're shitting on it. <laughs> shitting all over it. <laughs> Ugh, terrible. So, yeah. Toast? Toast. To... <laughs> All mm-hmm. the little girls in the world. And their, I know, and their parents who, yeah. like, God, when when Olga's parents said, like, we visited an empty grave for nine years, and they went all the time. Mm-hmm. That's profound. You think you're going there to pay your respects to your child for, like, a very long period of time. Your child who tragically died very young, and it's just empty. I think it's interesting. I mean, did they not involve police with all the letters and the monuments? Like— they did report the smashed headstone to police, yeah. but they just thought it was like vandalism. They just thought it was like a weird person. It, again, it wasn't harmful. Yeah, but still it's weird. It's weird, but cops can't hunt for weird. Mm-hmm. Maybe like, well, this person left you some weird notes. I guess maybe they're harassing you, but unless you catch them or we see them, there's not much we can do. Yeah, He was like, pre- he was good. There's one of the interviews with him from prison where he talks about how um, – where he lived, police did not patrol graveyards. Okay. So there was no presence in there. And after dark, you could just go in and do whatever you wanted. Nobody saw you. Okay. So he knew when to go and that he would be ignored. And so he got away with everything. Think about it. They thought that it was like ex- political extremists, like terrorists is what they thought for two years. And the cops never caught him. They just weren't in the graveyard. It's happening in graveyards. Why aren't you in the graveyard? Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, let's toast to her parents. To, to all the parents and all the girls. Ooh. And if we were calling out from beyond the grave for a rescue through the little music box that sung when we could not, oh. we, we would be, be dead. dead. Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at WouldBeDeadPod. And join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more. Hi, guys. First, you get garbage stockings. Yeah. Then you stuff them with salt and baking soda. Then you got to get your body, but don't pull up the whole coffin because that could too much of a mess. Just and cut a hole, pull them out. <laughs> Link below for a bulk baking soda. Smash that like button. <laughs> yeah.